Would you believe me if I told you that violence against the elderly is tremendously underreported? And that might be because, according to the AARP, many victims know or are related to their abusers. That makes me so angry and frustrated, and I just want to cry all at the same time. But I'm glad you joined me so that we can learn together how to keep the seniors in our own lives safe from these garbage people who would abuse and take advantage of them. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Unlovely Truth. I'm your host, private investigator Lori Morrison, and I'm going to bring you another story from the world of true crime, and we're going to see where it intersects with our faith. Then I want us to join forces to answer what I believe is every Christian's calling to be a different kind of PI, a person of impact. Then we'll talk about a very practical way to do that after we dive into today's case. This is season three, episode 26. Our book this week is Stealing Joy, a true story of Alzheimer's, elder abuse, and fraud by Dr. Glennis Walker Anderson. Our guest is Shannon Dion. She helped found the nonprofit organization Secure Our Seniors Safety after a serial killer murdered her own mother, along with at least 18 other victims, most of whom were senior citizens. We'll chat with her after we investigate our book, which details the death of Rosalind Walker. It's no big secret that criminals love to prey on the weak and the isolated. Wouldn't you if you were a criminal? One mind-blowing statistic is that every five seconds, another elderly person becomes a victim of financial abuse. Another precious senior suffered financial abuse just in the time it took me to tell you that. And this story is so much worse. For lots of different reasons, how our society cares for aging family members has changed a lot since my grandparents and your grandparents took care of their parents. Caregivers and assisted living facilities often step in for family members who either live far away or can't take on full-time care for whatever reason. You know, maybe they work a full-time job or their loved one just needs more nursing care that they can manage at home. So we've learned to lean on professionals to help us. Their position, or maybe the fact that we know them, makes us think we can trust them. Usually we can, but it's so hard to accept that sometimes trusted neighbors, doctors, lawyers, and even family members will take advantage of our seniors simply because they see them as easy targets. But it does happen. Rosalind Violet Minerva Edwards was the mother of the author of Stealing Joy, but everybody simply called Rosalind Joy. As author Glennis Anderson's father was nearing death, and like many children facing the loss of one of their parents, she wanted to find a lawyer to help settle some important matters. She found a motherly-seeming attorney who specialized in elder law. Dr. Anderson found out later that it wasn't a practice area that the attorney felt called to as an area of service, but one that she thought would give her a steady supply of victims. At the same time, one of Joy's neighbors also had plans to get close to Joy so she could steal whatever she could from the elderly woman. After Joy was temporarily hospitalized, the lawyer and the neighbor both went to visit her and met for the first time. They ended up joining forces. Because Joy had always been very organized, she had been able to hide the fact that she was in the early stages of Alzheimer's from her family because they lived several hours away. Dr. Anderson had begged her mother to come live with her, but Joy wanted to stay where she could enjoy the memories of her late husband in the home that they shared. But giving seniors what they want 
isn't always what's best for them. The lawyer and the neighbor slowly began to exert more and more and more control over Joy by pretending to be caring and helpful. It was all a carefully constructed lie. Thanks so much for listening to The Unlovely Truth. Your time is valuable, and I want to be sure that I give you great value in return for the time you're giving me. After this episode's over, please head to the show notes for a link to my website where you can find ways to support the podcast and grab resources for yourself that will help you kick fear to the curb, keep yourself and your loved ones safe, and serve communities affected by predators like the ones in today's episode. It's so easy to see in hindsight that these two women, the lawyer and the neighbor, should never have been allowed to be around Joy. But they seemed to give her company, and Dr. Anderson was thankful for that. As time went on, it became more and more apparent that Joy needed to be moved to a long-term care facility. Joy lived in Canada and her daughter in the U.S., and her insurance would only pay for a facility in Canada, not one near her family. Believing the doctors who told her that Joy would be safe in their facility, her daughter signed the papers. She breathed a sigh of relief, thinking that at least now, the lawyer and the neighbor would be out of her mother's life. But they soon began a campaign of calls, telling Dr. Anderson that the facility Joy had been placed in was not a good place for her to be. Dr. Anderson, of course, disagreed and thought that the power of attorney she had over her mother's affairs would keep these two vultures from interfering with her mom's care. But Joy still wanted them around because as her Alzheimer's progressed, she believed them when they told her that she'd been abandoned by her daughter. They were able to cash a lot of checks drawn on Joy's account, in part because Dr. Anderson hadn't made herself a co-signer on her mom's accounts or used her power of attorney to move the money into an account she alone controlled. Dr. Anderson got the shock of her life one day when her mother called her cell phone from the lawyer's office. Dr. Anderson asked Joy how she had gotten from her care facility to that office. Ignoring the question, Joy called her a thief and a liar and said she never wanted to see her daughter again. After Joy abruptly hung up, Dr. Anderson called back. The lawyer answered and declared that she was going to be Joy's primary caregiver from then on. Dr. Anderson tried to call the assisted living center, but the administrator told her that her mother was angry at her, and if Joy wanted to talk to her, she'd be the one to make the call. Nobody Dr. Anderson talked to had any idea how to fix this mess. Weeks later, she got a call from her mother's doctor. He'd gotten a letter from the lawyer with a new power of attorney that Joy had signed. It put the lawyer in charge of everything. Even though Joy's medical records documented her mental impairment, the attorney argued that only a lawyer could determine competency, and she determined that Joy was competent to shut her daughter out of her life. The meddling neighbor signed an affidavit stating that Joy could care for herself, and then she and the lawyer insisted that Joy needed to move back into her own home. Dr. Anderson tried to use the courts to get her mother back to a safe place. She called government officials and wrote letters. The lawyer put forth a new will that Joy supposedly wrote. It gave a large portion of her assets to the attorney, the neighbor, and a grocery checker who helped the two harpies in their scam by cashing the bogus checks that I mentioned earlier. On Christmas Day, Dr. Anderson and her daughters tried again to call Joy, and probably due to limited staffing on the holiday, their call got put through this time. Joy tearfully asked why they hadn't been looking for her. It was the last time they would ever speak with her. 
Dr. Anderson switched tactics and tried to get her mother help by calling the fraud division of her mom's bank. That's how she found out that the supermarket checker was in on the scheme to defraud her mother. A guardianship hearing that Dr. Anderson pushed for was delayed. But by this time, she had a member of a police elder abuse squad willing to swear in an affidavit that she would be Joy's best guardian. The lawyer emailed Dr. Anderson to tell her that the hearing had been canceled, but it hadn't. When she didn't show up, it looked like Dr. Anderson didn't care, and the judge even reprimanded her. That was in March, and on June 17th, Joy passed away after having surgery that doctors advised she likely wouldn't survive. Dr. Anderson had hired a succession of six lawyers as she tried to fight off these predators who had latched onto her mother. From beginning to end, it had only taken a year for these women to strip Joy of nearly everything she had, including her life. I asked Shannon Dean, founder of the nonprofit organization Secure Our Seniors Safety, to join us today because she too lost her mom to a predator who preyed on the elderly. All of our parents will be in need of care someday. And I know I need to learn what to look out for to keep mine safe. I just want to thank you so much, Shannon, for joining us to tell your mom's story. I know it can't be easy, but I know that you want to do that, not only to honor her, but to help others as they're walking a similar path with aging parents. I wish you didn't have to tell the story, but please let us know something about your mom. Thank you, Lori, and thank you for giving me this opportunity. I am like so many people that have had an experience that was so tragic. I and those people, other people, become dedicated to make sure to work to prevent other people from having anything close to what we have gone through. Mama was a true steel magnolia. She was born and raised in Dallas. She lived here until mid forties when my daddy was transferred and we moved to Connecticut. Daddy worked in New York. Mama, that was a big change to go to uh, Connecticut, New York area in 1965 coming from Dallas. JFK had just been assassinated in Dallas two years before. But Mama made her way through. She adopted a new lifestyle. She learned to shovel snow. She loved going into New York City. She was, as I said, the Steel Magnolia. She first time went to Grand Central Station and being a Southern polite lady, held the door open at the train station for the next person coming through. And she didn't understand why the next person didn't catch the door. She stood there and held the door open while multiple commuters just poured right through until she grit her teeth and let the the door fly. Mama was all about our family. Um, She was all about making others feel comfortable in her presence. She loved to travel. Genealogy was her hobby. She wrote a book about one of our ancestors. She, as I said, dedicated to our family. Um, When my sister passed away in 2003 of cancer, Mama sat and held her hand. She said, I brought her into the world and I will be here when she leaves it. And Mama sat and held my daddy's hand. Their marriage of 61 years coming to an end, but she was there with him till the very last. She grieved 
And then being mama, she decided it was time a few months after daddy's passing to get back involved. So she started wearing colors again, and she was living in an independent residential establishment here in Dallas. She went back to Tai Chi and her sit and sew classes, and she would play bingo, and the prize would be wine that was not always, it was of an interesting quality, shall we say. And so she would invite my husband and I over to have dinner with her so that we could partake in her winnings. She and daddy traveled everywhere. They went to Europe, China, Russia, India, all over, and they were saving Alaska for when they got old. Daddy passed before we got him there, but in August of 2016, my husband and I booked a cruise and took mama. We had a wonderful time. She once again showed her steel part of her steel magnolia. She uh, looked over and we were going to meet her at her cabin. And she came up the stairs kind of a little huff and puff with her cane. I said, Mama, what happened? She said, well, I just couldn't wait for an elevator. I said, you climbed four flights of stairs? Well, yes, I just couldn't wait. And then when we were leaving the Seattle airport, the uh, TSA agent looked at Mama. She, she was, you know, a petite woman by this stage. And he said, ma'am, can I get you a wheelchair? And she was just hard, no. He said, well, ma'am, your gate is at the other end of the airport. It's a very far distance. Are you sure I can't get you a wheelchair? And she looked at him and she said, no, possibly in five to seven years. <laughs> but at age 92, it was too early for her to have a, a wheelchair. I would have liked she, your mama, I can tell. Oh, she, she, was, she was just perfect. My buddy. She became, she was my buddy. Which makes it even more heartbreaking what happened. Yeah. Um, the fact that I was not there to hold her hand, her family was not gathered around her to see her through a peaceful passing is a very difficult part of the story. Uh, there, there are a number of parts that are difficult. That's just one of them. Uh, so as I said, mama was my buddy. And on Sundays, I would pick her up at 8.30 in the morning. She'd be sitting outside on her bench waiting for me to go to church. And I pulled up. It was a beautiful Sunday, Sunday, October 30th, 2016. And I pulled up and Mama wasn't waiting for me. And I called and there was no answer. <clears throat> so I went inside and there was a young lady, concierge there. And I didn't have the key to Mom's apartment with me. I said, please get the key. Something's wrong. I went on up and uh, the newspaper was outside. The door was unlocked, which was all strange. I went inside, started looking in the bedroom, in the bathroom, thinking mama would have been getting ready for church. And the young lady found mama's body on the floor and said, she's gone. I'm so sorry. Thank you. Um, for one hour, I grieved my mother's loss as normal. It, you know, she was 92. So, but I had just seen her the Friday before, less, you know, 48 hours before, and she was fine and perky and all well. But again, you know, maybe it was just her, it, it had to accept it was just her time. The police came, body was released to the funeral home, and mama wore some jewelry. And, and so I, I asked the funeral home to please leave the jewelry for me. And when a necklace that she wore 24-7 that my sister and I 
had also was missing. That's when this terrible tragedy all came started. Uh, I realized that this necklace was missing. I started looking around. Other jewelry was missing. Cash was missing. The police returned. They investigated. At the end of the day, I was told to accept that mama had passed naturally and that someone had just happened to come by the apartment and rob her and take jewelry off of her cold, dead body and out of her dresser and her jewelry box. A friend, another resident, came by and told me there had been another unattended death with a robbery just a few weeks before. Something was going on. When I asked management about that, I was told, well, the paramedics were being investigated in that case. I had continuing questions, so I did an open records request with the Dallas Police Department. And those reports showed me that between July of 2016 to Mama, October 30th, 2016, including Mama, there had been four unintended deaths with robberies. And that is very concerning. And I hate to interrupt you, but I, I just want to point out how awesome it was that you took such proactive steps, getting those records and looking into things for yourself. Because for me as an investigator, those are too big of coincidences. I don't, don't like coincidences. Exactly. So I had a career, very job, various jobs, but they all led me to being aware of the importance of getting documentation, what resources are available to get documentation, and how government agencies work. So that background knowledge that I never thought I would benefit so greatly from in my later years really brought it all together. So having this information, putting it together, sitting down with journalist friends to make sure I had it correctly documented, I reached out to the local newspaper and uh, anyone that would listen, and there just wasn't a lot of traction. So March of 2017, I'd published a Yelp review documenting everything on the site where Mama lived, just trying to give a heads up and warning to evaluate security that there, there had been these months before uh, unattended deaths with robberies. And I worked to get on with my life. It was, it was not easy. It was something, I knew something still was wrong, but there was nothing I could do. The, the Dallas police had told me this is it. And I pushed as hard as I knew how to. July 16th, 2018 afternoon, I had a call from Detective John Hoffman with the Plano Police Department that he was a part of a task force investigating a serial killer and that mama's death was being looked at as a homicide. He had seen my Yelp review and it fit the circumstances of what wow. he had been seeing. And that's when everything changed. That had to have been quite a shock. It was hor horrifically devastating, but I looked at my husband and it was like it validated everything that I had been thinking and feeling for, for months. Um, that there was more to this story that something had happened in that apartment. And I will say that Sunday afternoon when I left and was thinking it was, you know, an unattended death with a robbery, I, I, my mantra was God and my daddy saw what happened. And one day I would know. 
I love that. I love that. You know, I checked out your organization's website, of course, because I wanted to learn more about the work that you do. And one statement in particular just really grabbed my attention. You borrowed from that wise African proverb about it taking a village to raise a child, and you just shortened it down to, it takes a village. Because I think that really speaks to so many aspects of our lives. And, you know, a group of you have bonded together to not only support each other, but like you said, you're reaching out and you're trying to help others who have walked this path or you want to help people avoid walking this path. How has being a part of that, reaching out to others, helped you heal a bit of your own trauma? Oh, Lori, I I can't begin to tell you um, how healing it is to share this story because what good would it do if I just sat and curled up with it and felt the pain and that's all I could feel by, by talking about it. And our, our goal of secure our senior safety SOSS is core value. First goal is bringing about awareness. And after that transparency and accountability, I recently heard a a U.S. district attorney say, Criminals have a job. Their job is to look into vulnerabilities, find ways to achieve money, whatever their goal is, but to find those cracks in the system or protocol to, to win and, and have achieved their goals of evil doing. And I never thought about it that way, but that's absolutely right. And that's a key of bringing awareness. So we, these daughters, my friends, my sisters, I call them, uh, nobody else has had this experience of your mother's passed away, your mother passed away and she was robbed, your mother passed away and she was robbed and she was murdered. That's a very unique grief. And we can finish each other's sentences, we can pick each other up, we can carry each other as we need to but we're all together and motivated by, we don't want others to have this experience and we don't want this to be our mom's legacy, the end of their story. I so believe in the power of story to help us be aware of these issues and generate solutions for the problems that we find. And you're right, you are part of a unique group that you know, really nobody wants to join. But how do those of us that are on the outside of that group, that's not specifically happened to us, but we still want to make a difference. We still want to help. What would you say to us? What can we do? What would be the most helpful? So I'm 62 years old. I am the tail end of the baby boomer generation. We are the demographic that is going to populate these independent living establishments, the the lifestyle that is now being built and offered to us. And we need to go into this and be aware. I also want to make it very, very clear. We respect elderly independence. Um, we, we are not trying to infantilize, make them 
infants by any ways or unable to care for themselves. We recognize that. But we don't believe that the playing field is level and that there is an importance of being aware of what the situation is. These establishments advertise resort-like lifestyle, wonderful dining, fine entertaining. And yes, we have a concierge and we have security. You have to look at it like I now say when you're buying a car. You look at a beautiful car with a great sound system and beautiful interior, but you need to look under the hood. You need to kick the tires. You need to look deeper. So when you go in, whether you're looking for yourself or a loved one or a friend, as I did recently, you need to look beyond the dining room. You need to look beyond the library. Um, I went to tour an establishment recently for some neighbors. And they know who I am. They know my story. They know security is key to me. They assured me, and I told them that I wanted to see their loading dock and I wanted to see their garage. And they assured me that when we got to the garage that the gate was down or some staff member would be there if the gate was up. We get down there. Yeah, the gate was up. There was no staff member. There was no need for me to go visit the loading dock. It's that awareness that we need to work on and that when something goes awry, that there is a transparency and accountability. That's a wonderful story because I would not have thought about a loading dock or a garage, but it's access. Exactly. It's access for people who should not have access. Exactly. And that's what I'm trying to, to point out about looking under the hood, to poke and see where are the vulnerabilities. Um, when the police first came, when the jewelry was reported missing from my mom, they were asking about cameras. They were asking about who had key access, uh, what, what monitoring was done at the main entrances. And those are the things that we as consumers need to, to look at as well. One of the other big parts of our story is the majority of the homicides. So this man has been indicted on 18 homicides. He was convicted a little over three weeks ago for um, capital murder and the sentence is life without parole. We are expecting and hoping for more indictments just so the families have that closure that he was responsible. The majority of these homicides occurred in independent living establishments for here in North Texas. The information was not shared with the residents that there were unattended deaths with robberies, that there was a trespasser on the property. My husband and I talked with my mom about financial scams. Your granddaughter will not be overseas in trouble in jail calling you for money and telling you don't call mom. That's, you know, you call us before you transfer money. We didn't know to tell our mothers to not open their door to a man knocking and saying maintenance because we did not know there had been unattended deaths and robberies on the property. One of the stories that is, as I said, they're all painful with their own twist. One of them involves um, Mrs. Nelson. She was in her apartment on her cell phone knock at the door. She said, come in, thinking it was a delivery man returning. It was the offender. He came in, saw she was on her phone, 
walked around her apartment, stole a diamond necklace and left. The, the theft was realized later on. Mrs. Nelson called the front desk, said this person had come by, gave a very accurate description of him to the front desk. That was all, all that happened Wednesday, Thursday passed. He returned on Friday and murdered her and robbed her. Oh, my goodness. Again, what could management have done? Was there a notice of somebody entering apartments? That information was never shared. And that's what we, one of the things our goals is, is legislation because we, we love business. We love free market systems, but every now and then there needs to be a little oversight. And those are the things that we are looking for is, is increasing this transparency and accountability. I want everyone to check out your website. There's going to be a link in the show notes because you have so many great ideas like the legislation. You have tips for people to know how to keep their loved ones safe. And it does take a village. We can't rely on the police. We can't rely on the people that run these facilities. We have to step up. We all have to take some sort of action. Because one thing is not pleasant to think about, but it's kind of like mice or roaches. If you see one, there's more there. And so when we hear stories about this, I think we like to comfort ourselves that they're isolated incidences. But there are people out there getting away with this sort of thing and not getting caught. Exactly. In fact, um, when we went to Austin last year, one of the organizations that was opposing our legislation said, well, this is a one-off. You know, this was just a terrible situation. This was a one-off. Kevin Gavin was arrested in New York from in January of 2021, murdering old older women for their jewelry. Sadly, we fear this isn't a one-off. Now, COVID protocols have changed some of the ways people are in and out of the buildings. But again, I go back to my experience just six weeks ago. I went through the COVID protocol, got checked in, temperature was checked, but the garage gate was wide open. It's easy to get distracted. Yes. And, and not remember that we have to be vigilant because like you said earlier, there are criminals who act impulsively, but you really, really have to watch out for the ones where this is their job. They practice, they practice to get better. They learn what they can. They learn from past mistakes and their only intent is to get what they want from you, whatever it takes. A a copycat of this has been a, and remains a big concern for us. Oh, goodness. Well, I want to end on a note of hope. Again, please check out the website because there are things you can do. You can help others. You can help your own loved ones. Find ways to keep them as safe as you can because, like the Bible tells us, we're to revere our elders. They work so hard to give to us. They have gone through unimaginable things that we can't even fathom. And we need to respect them and take care of them the way they took care of us when we were too little to make it on our own. That, that's one of our sayings is it's time to care for those who cared for us. Oh, 
Love that. You said that so much better than I did. Well, if you have enjoyed what you've heard today and you are just fired up to do more, we're going to have some more information in the membership site as well. So you'll want to check that out. Thank you, Shannon, for being with us. Um, again, condolences for the loss of your mother, but thank you for your, your bravery and your generosity in sharing her story. Lori, thank you so much for this opportunity, and I, I pray that it helps others. I know that it will. Thank you. Today's topic really made me think about the story from John chapter 12, where Mary anoints Jesus at Bethany. Remember how she poured that expensive oil on his feet and then wiped them with her hair? It certainly upset Judas. He asked why that expensive oil hadn't been sold and the money given to the poor. On his face, that sounds pretty reasonable, until you read verse 6, which says, He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to whatever was put into it. Wow, we can get so much from that last verse. And like I said a minute ago, we all have loved ones that are going to need care one of these days. And I know it's hard to think about that and hard to plan for it. But today's case showed us exactly how important it is that we do. It's well worth the investment to have a trustworthy professional set up wills, powers of attorney, advanced directives, long-term care plans, and anything else that your elderly loved one needs so that they will be taken care of and have their assets go to the people they want them to go to. And it's critical to do it sooner rather than later because you absolutely never know when a medical issue could render them unable to set these things up themselves. If you liked this episode, be sure to check out some earlier ones. I've had so many amazing guests who have given me fantastic information that you don't want to miss a single one. You can also help someone else begin their journey as a different kind of PI, a person of impact. When you share this episode, when you subscribe to the podcast, and give me a five-star rating and a nice review. The Unlovely Truth is written and produced by me, Lori Morrison. Music is by Neil Cortex and the artwork by Shelby Highland. See you all next time. Thank you for listening to this episode that is part of the Spark Media Network that can now be heard on the Edify app.